welcome to Discussions in Tunbridge Wells, the psychology and mental health podcast produced by the Salomon Centre for Applied Psychology in Kent. My name is John McGowan and I'm a psychologist in the centre and this is the Understanding Your Teenagers edition. Now, as many of you connected with us are aware, in 2017 we left our long-term home on the David Salomon's estate outside Tunbridge Wells and moved to a new building right in the middle of town. One of our plans for this site is to have a programme of public talks on a whole range of subjects. We had a bit of a dry run earlier in the year with a talk on suicide prevention. You can find that in our podcast feed. And today we're presenting a recording from our most recent event. Before we dive into that though, I just have a quick bit of housekeeping And I want to let you know about our next public event. This is a book launch and reading from a new book of poetry called The Ward by Louisa Campbell. Louisa has been both a mental health nurse and a mental health patient. And the book offers all sorts of powerful stories and voices from inside the mental health system. That's here at Salomon's on Thursday the 12th of July. And we'll post details uh, to that on the show page on our blog. So, on to today's show. In this podcast, we have the audio from our most recent public lecture, uh, the first in a series of evening events that we have planned. In it, my colleague, Dr. Alex Hassett, talks about understanding an often mysterious and sometimes troubling group for many of us, namely teenagers. As a father of two, I have to say I was really waiting for this one eagerly. Alex is a psychologist and psychotherapist who works with children and teenagers, and he also heads up our consultancy arm here at Salomon's and offers a range of workshops and training events for organisations such as schools and charities. In this talk, he focused on what recent developments in brain research in particular can tell us about teenage behaviour and development, and he tries to make sense of, you know, sometimes pretty mysterious behaviour. So it's over to Alex who kicks things off with a question. So um, can I just find out how many of you have got teenage children who are here? Okay, so there's a fair chunk of people who have lived experience um, (laughs) of their teenage children. Um, What I'm going to try and do just in the next hour is really just spend a little bit of time doing some kind of brief overview of kind of brain development. um, And that'll be really short. And then spend a good chunk of time really thinking about adolescence but also in terms of um, the kind of new research that's around in terms of adolescent brains. Um, and then hopefully at the end, just thinking of some kind of strategies to you know, how we might support teenagers. But um, I mean, what I'm really hoping is that just through kind of talking about the new brain development research, it really helps with kind of getting an understanding um, of what's happening um, for teenagers during this particular phase. The one thing I do want to say up front is that, first of all, I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, that's, that's not my speciality. I'm much more um, interested in working with young people. Um, but I do find kind of the ideas from the brain development research quite interesting. Um, and so really thinking about how that applies, um, you know, in terms of supporting their emotional well-being. But I think what we need to remember is that lots of this is new research. And we need to be really cautious about over-interpreting things um, or interpreting things way too simplistically. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff out there around neuroscience and it all sounds really brilliant and it looks great when you see these kind of um, scans of young people's brains. But I think sometimes we over-interpret, you know, and, and that can be problematic because I think it's much more complex than that. Actually, you know, these brains live inside of young people who live in families, um, who interact with broader communities. And so our brains function in a much more complex way, I think, than um, is often kind of seen in terms of those images. 
The other thing to remember is that a chunk of the research, particularly on adolescence, is done on animals. Right, and that's particularly related to drugs and alcohol. Um, I'm sure there'll be lots of young people willing to volunteer, uh, but you wouldn't get it through any ethics panel. Um, so, yeah, so just to bear those things in mind. Um, just to really start out in terms of just thinking about how our brains develop, um, our brains di develop in a kind of hierarchical way. I mean, the first bit of our brain to develop is the brain stem, and that's really the part of your brain that keeps you alive. It's the stuff that kind of regulates things like your blood pressure, your temperature, um, and it really makes sure that you stay alive. So it's the stuff that's out of your conscious awareness. It's a lot of our kind of reflex responses to the world. The next bit of the brain to develop is our limbic part of the brain. And that's really our kind of emotional um, or our gut kind of response to the world. Um, it's also the part of um, us that's really kind of engaged with things like relationships. Um, and it also is involved with assessing whether things are kind of um, dangerous or not. So it's where our flight or fight response um, responses come from. But I think what's key for our talk tonight is that it really is around the emotional senses. This is our emotional way of responding to the world. The final bit of the brain to develop is our cortex. And this really is the thinking part of the brain. Um, it's kind of your, it's the part of the brain that really coordinates and takes charge of the rest of, of um, the kind of brain activity. And a really important part of that is our prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for enabling us to do things like manage our impulses, regulate um, our feelings, really help us think about long-term planning, um, weighing up pros and cons. And as you'll see, that's one of the key parts of the brain that is being developed um, during adolescence. Right. And it's this part of the brain that goes through a rapid amount of um, development when babies are born. So you know, this is the part of the brain that in the first 14 weeks um, goes through an incredible amount of growth. And the way in which the brain communicates is along these um, specialized kind of neurons, right, which take in electric information via the, their dendrites, and they pass information along those, um, those cells. And what happens is that the more a young person or a child uses a particular pathway, the more likely it is to be kept. Right? And so what we have is a process of overproduction, and this happens at birth, and it also happens again now we know during adolescence, where you have an overproduction of possible neural pathways. So your brain is really open to change um, during these particular periods. And then what happens is through the kinds of experiences that the child is having, the brain starts to lay down those particular pathways that are strongest. And it lays this fatty sheath along there, a myelin sheath, that really makes that a very strong connection um, uh, you know, in terms of the information getting um, around the brain. So what the brain is doing is it's, it's really pruning away those weaker signals. So an infant will have an enormous amount um, of possible pathways, and through experience, through the kinds of activities they engage in, certain ones, the weaker ones, will be pruned away, and they will keep the stronger pathways. Right. And that really is the process of learning, and it is very much that use it or lose it kind of principle. So the kinds of activities young people are engaging in are really determining the kinds of pathways that are being laid down um, in their brains. 
Um, and I find that's always quite fascinating for me is that actually your kind of experiences out there um, in the world are actually determining kind of what kinds of pathways um, are being laid down. Right. Now, up until the, probably the last 15 years ago, we really thought that what was key in terms of this overproduction and in terms of um, brain development was the early years. So those first three years were seen as really, really significant, and, and they are very important in terms of brain development. But what the new research is showing is that adolescence, at puberty, um, they have another period of overproduction. It's not nearly as prolific as it is for infants, um, but there is this overproduction, again, of possible pathways, which makes teenage brains much more open to change than we'd previously thought. And what's really significant is that it's in this part of the brain, in the prefrontal cortex, that we see most of this kind of rewiring happening um, for adolescence. All right, so I want us just to think a little bit about adolescence for a moment. So um, if you had to think about what characteristics you would associate with them, um, you know, how would you describe a teenager? Any thoughts? Moody. Moody. <laughs> Sleepy. Sleepy. Yeah, very self-conscious, yeah. Impulsive. Impulsive. Anything else? Yeah, so mood swings. Okay. Any positive stuff about a teenager? <laughs> there are no positives. <laughs> right. Oh dear. Yeah, exactly. No, and I agree with you. And I think it's really important to realize that there is this kind of sense about adolescence as being quite difficult um, and really challenging. So if I ask you who you think said these, um, these kind of quotes, they said, youth are heated by nature as drunken men by wine, inclined to contradict parents and tyrannize their teachers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, any thoughts about who said that? I heard someone whispering Shakespeare. I mean, a little bit before him. Yeah, exactly. It's Aristotle and Socrates had this view, all right, of young people. I mean, I really like this quote from Shakespeare. He said, I would that there were no age between 10 and 23, for there is nothing in between but getting wenches with child, wronging the ancient tree, stealing and fighting. Right. Um, I mean, I've, what I find really interesting is that he says 10 and 23, and actually that's what the new research is showing, is that actually teenage brains are really not kind of fully finished um, being developed until the mid-20s. Right. But I think it is an interesting thing to bear in mind, this whole negative kind of connotation that there is out there um, around adolescence, because it is an incredibly um, productive, creative um, time. And certainly what the new brain development research is saying, actually a time when young people are really open to change. All right. So what do we mean by adolescence? Well, there isn't really a single definition um, around how we would describe adolescence. It's not just puberty. Puberty is usually the indicator that adolescence has started um, when kind of the young person starts to change physically. But it's actually something much more than that. And um, I mean, that's really what we're going to spend our time talking about. But it is that transition from childhood to adulthood, 
from kind of being dependent to becoming independent. Um, you know, and it, it's not really a particular, you know, it's not a stage that you just kind of go through. Um, it is much more this kind of tr transitional process um, that teenagers move through. And I just like this quote from Dahl. He says, it's that awkward period between sexual maturation and the attainment of adult roles and responsibilities. And I quite like it because it kind of brings together what starts out as a very physical or biological set of changes for the young person, but actually ends um, with something kind of different about them in terms of what their social roles are. Right. Now, if we think about adolescent development, um, there are lots of ways in which we can think about it. The first is we can think about all the physical changes that happen. And I mean, they are very significant. Um, young people, when they hit puberty, everything about their body starts to change. And it starts to behave sometimes in ways that young people are not particularly happy about. Right? Um, and so we need to kind of remember that actually everything about their physical being is changing. They also change cognitively. So their thinking starts to change. They're able to actually start to think much more abstractly or conceptually about things. And what that means is they're able to start asking questions about why do I need to believe the things my parents believe? Why should I bother learning the stuff that I have to learn at school? Right? Because what they're able to do is start developing their own moral code, start to really think about what their own set of values are. And that's because their way of thinking is changing and developing. And then there are a whole range of psychosocial tasks that young people have to engage in. Things like developing a sense of identity, um, really get, trying to get a sense of who I am and how I fit into the world. And I think for me, what's really important to remember is that that means everything about that young person is changing. So during adolescence, everything that you thought you were when you were a child actually gets thrown up in the air. And all of that is changing at the same time. And our psychologists like complicated words because people kind of then talk about, well, we need to take a biopsychosocial approach, which is really just thinking about how all of these things interact with each other in terms of development. But for me, what's really important is always just remembering that actually everything about that young person is changing at the same time. Right. So these are some of the tasks of adolescence. Right. Well, first of all, there's the coping with the physical changes. Um, and there are lots of them, as I've said. And I think it can be really challenging if you start to change at a different time to the rest of your mates. All right? Um, there is also something about feeling like your body's letting you down. So you're suddenly kind of finding that your voice is not reliable if you're a young man. Um, for you start to smell different. Um, you start menstruating. There are a whole range of things um, that are happening to you physically that you might not be feeling particularly comfortable with. There are also a whole range of other things, you know, establishing your sense of identity. Also, just you're suddenly full of hormones, all right, and you think about sex and want to have sex quite a lot. I'm not sure not your children, but <laughs> other people's children do. Um, so, right. And so they really start to think about sex and, and who are they attracted to? 
Um, and that can be really confusing for them. There is stuff around trying to become independent from your family and really looking for relationships outside of the family relationships and how important peer relationships become for young people, but also developing intimate relationships, which are quite different now for young people, and also developing their own kind of moral code. So there's a lot going on for them. All right. Um, and so... What the new research is saying is that actually during adolescence, something, adolescents are doing something different in terms of their brains. Um, and that it is this transitional phase, and that actually their brains are far less developed than we previously thought. Right? And that normal adolescence has a, has a whole range of very kind of challenging elements to it in terms of being quite insecure, facing conflict, being quite moody. So a lot of the things that you described earlier on. Um, but I think it is interesting in terms of just this whole transitional phase and how challenging that can be for some young people. I mean, if you think about the kind of classic, I'm not a child, but I'm not an adult. And that, you know, I'm sure most parents have had that conversation when, um, you know, they ask to go out and you say, well, um, where are you going? And you get a lecture about why do you always have to know where I'm going? Don't you trust me? Right. Once they've told you that, they then say, um, could I get a lift, please? <laughs> and so you're dealing with that kind of you know, that place where you're not really sitting comfortably in either of those worlds. Right. So we need to kind of just think about the fact that actually Quite often, I mean, adolescents might actually, they might look like adults, they might at times um, come to the same conclusions as adults, but what the new research is saying is that there is something else going on in their brains, right? That their brain is a work in progress, because during puberty you have this proliferation again of possible pathways, and so what you've got is a brain that's starting to be rewired, and if you have a look, I mean, our brains, we're thinking about, you know, the fact that it develops quite significantly, um, you know, but that it's carrying on right through adolescence until the early 20s. But that, and particularly at the front, um, in your frontal lobes of your brain. Right. And so it's this idea that actually not only is our brain developing hierarchically, but actually it's also developing from the back to the front. And the last bit of the brain um, to be rewired is at the front of the brain. And so, because of this, what we find is that um, what we call executive functions are not fully developed in teenagers. And this has got to do with planning, reasoning, and impulse control. Because in many ways, your prefrontal cortex is like the chief executive officer of your brain. Right? It's the bit that really kind of thinks about the long term. It thinks about the pros and cons around things. And it's really important in terms of being able to regulate things like your emotions and your impulses. And that's the very bit that's being rewired um, in teenagers. And so because of this, you often get a preference for physical activities. They're not great at planning and judgment. They'll often engage in more risky, impulsive types of behaviors and often won't be thinking about what the negative consequences might be. And that's all got to do with the fact that they're using the much more emotional gut response rather than the cortex in terms of responding to the world. And I mean, if you have a look at that list, I mean, I'm not going to read it out, but, um, you know, in terms of what the prefrontal cortex is responsible for, you can see why it can be quite hard 
for young people to be able to think about what a long-term consequence might be about, right? Or to actually kind of manage their moods um, in ways that we'd hoped that they would be able to. Um, and so, you know, pruning is great because what it does do is it makes your brain much more efficient. The problem is, is that during adolescence, that's in progress. And so I quite like this quote from Gede. He says, it's sort of unfair to expect teens to have adult levels of organizational skills or decision-making before their brains have finished being built. Right. And so it really is just kind of bearing that in mind. Um, now, because of the underdeveloped um, kind of frontal lobes, um, what you get is that young people are responding much more from a gut response or a more emotional way of responding to things. Right. So you're getting a much more limbic than cortex response to things. Um, right. And so you're going to get less reason thinking and more impulsiveness. Um, and if you think about how we learn to assess risk and consequences, I mean, that's one of the big challenges for teenagers is thinking about um, risk. I mean, it, it's a key bit of being a teenager is taking risks. And one of the things they're having to learn to do is how do I assess what the risk is and what the consequences of those risks might be? And in order to be able to think that, you have to be able to think about what are all the potential outcomes here? You have to also understand that some consequences are permanent. And because their prefrontal cortex isn't developed, they're not great at doing that. And that's why this whole kind of idea of saying to teenagers, well, just say no, I'll give you information, then you must just say no, is actually not going to work with them in terms of that. Because they're taking in information, they're organizing it, and they're understanding it in a way that's different to adults. And I think we have to just be really aware that that's what's happening. And I think sometimes we have conversations with teenagers thinking that they fully understood, and actually they may have. But in other situations, they may not be able to access that. And a classic example of that is, I'm sure most parents have had the conversation about when you're out, you do not get into a car with a friend who's been drinking. All right. And when your teenager is calm and their cortex is engaged, they will tell you it is a really rubbish idea to get into that car. And they can tell you what the consequences would be and they will reassure you right, that they won't do it. On a Friday night, when they're out late, they're with their mates, and they are desperate to get to a party, how many of them are going to say, well, you know, I had a conversation with my mother, and um, I'm not, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, what are they going to do, right? There's a good chance they're going to get in the car, right? And it's not that they don't, you know, I mean, they, they can think about that when their cortex is engaged. But unfortunately, it's really hard for them to apply the brakes when they're really in that kind of emotional place. And if you're wanting to look cool, you don't want your friends to reject you, and you are desperate to get to that other party, that reward center part of your brain, that emotional part of your brain, is going to override that reasoning part um, that's there. Now, Often people say to me, but doesn't this just give an excuse to teenagers then to do whatever they want? Um, and I'd say it doesn't, because actually what they need are adults in their lives to help to learn how you apply the brakes. Right? If you think about when they were little, it was much easier for them to go to the toilet in their nappy. 
but you help them learn how not to do that, right? And in some ways, that's a similar kind of thing, is that they need adults who can actually kind of work with them, who can co-regulate in some ways with them, who can help them make good decisions and help them kind of manage in those situations where they're not able to do it um, necessarily for themselves. So it's not about them just being able to do whatever they want um, because this is what the brain kind of research says. All right. Um, and so what we're really talking about here is the fact that teenagers have a lot of what we call hot cognition. Their thinking is often influenced by a whole range of feelings. Right? And if you just think about what's going on for them, I mean, that, you know, this desire to look cool, not wanting to be rejected, real anxiety around being caught, but a real excitement about the kind of risk that you're taking, all of those things can make um, very reasoned thinking quite challenging. And so teenagers, cognition is not going to be great in terms of actually solving problems um, in a reasoned kind of way. Right. Um, so, yeah, so what they're really learning is how do you manage yourself in these really complex social situations, right? So when I'm really anxious about what people think about me, when I'm involved in romantic relationships, when I've got these kind of academic pressures that are going on, when actually I'm trying to weigh up between immediate gratification and my long-term plans, they're needing to be able to manage quite complex feelings um, in those very complex situations. And that's the kind of stuff that they're learning to do during adolescence. And so it really is kind of two sides of the same coin, in that if you've got an active limbic brain, then social connections are really important to you, and you're going to really place a strong value on your friends. Right. But it does mean that that limits your ability to regulate or manage yourself emotionally. Right. And so you're going to be moody, and you're going to be quite quick to get angry, and there'll be quite a lot of hot emotion around. It also means that you'd have limited motivation. So teenagers have a real propensity for low-effort, high-excitement kind of activities. Right? And that's because of that part of the brain that they use. And because the prefrontal cortex is still not developed, they're going to take more risks, and they're not going to be great in terms of um, planning. Okay. Um, now, what the research shows is that there are some other things that change as well. Um, now, it's a very fancy term, mentalization, but all it really means is your ability to think that other people think um, thoughts that are different from you and understand from their perspective. So it links very much to empathy, which is the kind of feeling element of that. Is You, know, you can understand why a person feels um, different feelings from you in a particular situation. And I suppose what's really interesting with mentalization is that they found that it actually takes a dip during adolescence. So for those of you who've got teenage children, you know that lovely 11-year-old who really understood when you were upset with them why you were upset? Well, that becomes that 14-year-old who has no idea why at 2 in the morning you might be upset that they didn't phone to let you know that they had missed the bus or whatever it was. Right? Um, right. And so it's quite an interesting thing that actually almost a skill that the young person had um, actually goes down during adolescence. And again, that's got to do with the wiring that's happening there. And this also links to being able to read what's happening emotionally based on looking at someone's face. 
right? And it seems that teenagers are not great at doing that. Girls seem to be a bit better than boys, but they're still not brilliant. Um, but it's very hard for them to actually read the subtle cues from your facial features. And I mean, I don't know if you've had that experience, but you know that sense of where they look at you and kind of, you know, they say, why are you always angry with me? And you're thinking, not really sure which angry look this is right now. Um, but again, it's because of the part of the brain that they're using to process that. Our limbic part of our brain is looking for much more blunt emotions, um, where the prefrontal, the kind of frontal lobes would actually be able to pick up on more of those subtleties. Another thing that takes a dip is their ability to hold an intention in mind. And I'm sure you've all had that experience of, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to go downstairs and do my homework. Beep, beep. No, actually, I'm going out with my friends. Um, it's really hard um, to hold on to that intention. We all know that adolescence is a time of kind of seeking rewards and actually um, engaging in risk-taking behavior. Um, and so this is a key part of being a teenager, is really getting out there and exploring new activities. And it's really interesting. It seems that teenagers are responding differently to rewards. They seem to respond less to small rewards, more to large rewards than adults, but actually get bored more quickly with them. Right. I don't know how many of you have taken your teenage child on kind of what you think is a really interesting trip. And they've spent most of their time looking at their phone, being really, really bored, wishing they were with their friends, not with you. All right. <laughs> I mean, I had a really great example of this family with younger children and a teenager looking at the Eiffel Tower. And the smaller kids were having a great time. And the teenager was just looking at their phone, glaring at the parents. I took that as quite a small reward. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but obviously this leads to, you know, their response to larger awards often then leads to them feeling really passionately about things. Um, but then also at times, um, that passion kind of becomes quite boring quite quickly um, for them. There is some interesting research on um, adolescence and drinking and alcohol. I mean, this was done on rats, so just bear in mind that that's what it was done. But um, I think it's quite interesting in terms of the fact that they think that something different is happening with teenage brains um, in terms of alcohol consumption, and it might explain why they're able to binge drink. Um, now, I don't know if people know how alcohol works on your brain, um, but um, it's a depressant, and um, it has a kind of impairment um, or a motor impairment, almost a sedative effect on your brain. Now, part of the reason it's quite nice to have a glass of wine on a Friday after work or a Thursday after work um, <laughs> is that it really quietens that part of your brain that's kind of, you know, thinking about what you should have been doing um, and all of those kinds of things. And so the first bit that it really depresses in your brain is that bit that kind of is really busy and preoccupied with things. But the reality is if you keep drinking, eventually... Right. you're going to become uncoordinated, you'll start slurring. And it seems like for teenagers, it's not having as big an impact as it does on adults. Right. Um, and that might explain why some teenagers can preload on a whole bottle of wine before they go out and still be upstanding <laughs> to go out and drink more. 
The other nice thing about alcohol is that it's like a social lubricant. It disinhibits you socially um, because it quietens that part of your brain. Um, and it seems that for teenagers, that's happening even more um, for them than it does for adults. And they're thinking that those two things combined might be why teenagers are able to binge drink in the way in which they do. Okay, another element around kind of um, risk-taking and exploring new areas is certainly social media. Um, and young people certainly are very engaged with their technology, um, and they spend quite a lot of time on social media. Um, the reality is we're not going to get rid of technology, um, and um, there certainly is a lot of research to say that actually, in some ways, it's actually quite positive. There are, there are lots of positives around um, social media. However, we do know that there are also some negatives, and teenage brains, because of um, their kind of sensitivity to reward, um, makes them much more susceptible um, to the kind of reward functions that happen um, from social media. Right. It also, because they're not great at thinking about the consequences, often are not really good in terms of thinking about what the consequences of some of their social media activity might be. Right. Now, obviously, there are some differences between girls and boys. Girls tend to spend more time on visually oriented kind of social media um, platforms, whereas boys tend to play um, much more in terms of video games. Right. So there are certainly are those differences. Um, Another really important thing to kind of bear in mind is internet pornography and sexting, right? Because, again, I'm sure that this isn't true for your, um, your children, um, but a lot of young people are accessing um, porn on the internet. Um, and, um, I mean, I had a very, it was a really kind of sweet incident with a mum. I was working with a younger son, and she said, well, where did he see this stuff? She said, because I check our computer's history, she said, and, um, you know, I, he's not been looking at it on the computer at home. I said, on his phone? She looked at me, she was like, you mean you can look at pornography on your phone? It's like, yep. Um, so, um, so it is really just important. Um, and I think, you know, for me, this is one of the really key areas for kind of parents to be able to talk to um, their children about, <laughs> is about kind of, you know, they're they going to be accessing it. It's available there. Um, and so we probably should be having conversations about that. The other bit is also sexting. I mean, why wouldn't you send a picture of your bits to someone? Right? <laughs> certainly if you're not thinking about the long-term consequences of it, and there are certainly a lot of adults who send pictures of their bits without thinking that too. Um, so, you know, so it is a really important thing just to think about, is that lots of young people are doing this. Um, you know, we have a PhD student who's doing stuff looking at um, kind of internet porn pornography and, and the impact on young men. But interestingly, in part of her work, she discovered that in one class, 26 of, um, 24 of the 26 girls had seen each other's bits. Uh, they texted them to each other. Yeah. And um, so it's happening. So, I mean, you know, these are the kinds of conversations that we need to really think about um, you know, in terms of thinking about our young people. And... Because what you've got are reward centers in overdrive, right? You've got young people who are experiencing a whole set of new hormonal drives happening there with, you know, kind of cognitive capacity that still hasn't quite caught up with that. 
And so I think sometimes, you know, we think that they're engaging in really strange kind of behavior. But I do also think it's quite useful for parents to actually spend some time thinking about what you got up to as a teenager. Um, because I think so often we forget that actually we got up to some really strange stuff too. All right. All right. Another big thing that changes for teenagers is their sleep. Their biological clock changes. All right. So our sleep pattern happens as the sun goes down, your melatonin levels rise and your body gets ready to sleep. Right. As the sun comes up, your cortisol levels rise and that gets your body kind of um, aroused so that you can wake up. It almost seems like teenagers get jet lag. Their bodies just seem to be out. And so they can't go to sleep um, as early as they used to. And because of that, some teenagers can end up in sleep debt. And I think these days that has become even more of an issue because very often when the rest of the family have gone to bed, teenagers are spending time on their phones, laptops, um, games, and that type of thing. Um, and all of that blue light is telling their brains that actually it's still daytime um, and that you don't need to go to sleep. So where you may have gone to sleep at 12.01, some young people are actually staying awake um, a lot later than that. And the reality is, is that the less sleep you have, um, the more difficult it will be for you. It has an impact on your ability to learn. It has an impact on your memory. But it also can leave you feeling quite anxious and down. I mean, if you just think for yourselves how you feel after a few days of not having a good night's sleep, there are lots of teenagers out there um, who are not getting enough sleep on a regular basis. Right. Um, and so sleep hygiene can become really important in terms of that. It's just, you know, are bedrooms um, kind of, you know, social media free places? Um, and, you know, how does one negotiate that um, as a family in terms of thinking about, you know, how do you help the young person learn good habits um, around sleep? So what we've got is this real mismatch then between emotional and cognitive kind of systems. Um, you've got these really powerful emotional responses, sexual urges happening, a real desire for independence, and actually are some real challenges then around how easily they can regulate, contextualize, and actually really kind of plan um, you know, around those particular things. But, I mean, the good news is, is that for most teenagers, eventually the prefrontal cortex gets wired um, and is actually able to take over and actually is able to regulate and manage, um, you know, those, those kind of strong um, urges um, that teenagers are experiencing. Right. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is that, you know, adolescence, it, all of this can actually sound quite worrying, quite scary, but actually it really is an incredibly creative time and a real time of real potential um, all right, for them. Okay, um, so what does this mean then for people living with them? Um, well, first of all, I suppose what it means is we need to learn about teenagers and kind of, you know, understand the new research. And, and stuff is changing all of the time, so we need to kind of try and keep up to date with that. And that might mean that we need to reevaluate some of our expectations of our teenagers um, or just rethink how we view kind of adolescence. 
Um, there is also something quite helpful in terms of just helping teenagers think about what might be going on for them, in terms of just thinking about that, because we're quite good sometimes about helping them understand what's happening to them physically, um, but how much do we actually help them think about what's going on for them internally um, during adolescence? Um, I think it's also really important to just be aware of the fact that actually teenagers may be more immature than we had previously thought. And I think a real challenge for parents is how you balance allowing your child the kind of freedom to go out and take the risks, because that's a normal part of what teenagers need to do. But how do you provide that kind of safe environment in which they can grow and develop? And that's a really challenging balance um, for parents to kind of manage. Um, right. I mean, in terms of just thinking about what the neuroscience says, well, first of all, the fact that their limbic part of their brain kind of predominates during this time tells us one of the things that's really important to them is relationships. Um, and so it is about how parents just stay connected and communicate um, with their teenagers. And as much as they do prefer their friends and their friends' parents to you, actually you really are important to them. I mean, lots of the research shows that actually re their relationship with their parents is really, really important to them. And so it's really kind of just staying connected with them. It's also about trying to help them really learn how to self-regulate and manage some of those really strong feelings that are going on for them. You know, we, we talk about things like, you know, how do we cope with stresses? Um, you know, how, how do we help the young person deal with the fact that, you know, when you're in a really stressed situation, right, how do you access that kind of cognitive thinking part of your brain? Um, and part of that is really about developing problem-solving skills and being able to really help them think about that. Um, right. And so, you know, it, it, it's about helping them practice and think about those kinds of things. I mean, problem-solving is not something that just comes naturally. It's something that we really learn um, through our interaction um, with other people. In terms of um, the whole idea of that, you know, that, that there is this limit around judgment, well, first of all, it's about fostering independence and really kind of just letting a young person have some autonomy and really resisting that urge to micromanage. And I think, you know, there's so much kind of out there that makes us feel like the world is a really unsafe place. It's really risky for teenagers, um, but that's never going to stop them. <laughs> Um, you know, wanting to take risks and kind of go out there. Um, and so it really is about how we help them um, do that. It's also about how we just help them apply the brakes. You know, how do we help them make decisions, problem solve, think about pros and cons, um, you know, help them think about the long term so that we're kind of offering that kind of assistance with them. They might not always listen to it, they might actually think that you're um, talking a whole lot of nonsense at the time. Right? But it is that repeated kind of interaction with them that helps them start to think about those things. And I think a really important one for me is really reinforcing um, that they seek advice from other adults. Right? And I think that's really important is that you know, it doesn't have to be you, but actually, you know, if you're stuck, if you're in difficulty, then go and talk to another adult. Um, 
And that can become really important, I think, particularly around some of the stuff that young people get into in terms of social media. Um, you know, if you've got adults who are kind of threatening to put pictures of you um, on the Internet, it's not something a 15-year-old should be having to deal with. That's when you need your parents or another adult to actually intervene and actually kind of, you know, help you out with that. It's about also about how we help develop perspective. So, you know, challenging some of the faulty assumptions. Uh, you know, no one at school likes me, all right? I'm definitely the worst at this. Um, and it is about how we reframe experiences and just help them kind of think about the alternative perspectives so that really kind of helping them think about how this might be viewed from another kind of um, frame. And I find it often quite useful to just ask some things around, so, you know, what would your friend say about that? Um, or if your friend was in this situation, what kind of advice would you give them? So I think sometimes it's really hard for them to focus on kind of when it's me. But actually it's much easier when you're thinking about that for someone else. Right. Also, just explaining your decisions um, to the young, the young person. So not doing stuff when you're angry, but also recognizing the difference between when a young person's being defiant and actually it might just be immaturity. Right, on their part. Okay. Also thinking about how you kind of manage their behavior. Right? And that's quite hard because, you know, the way that you manage a younger child is quite different to how you manage a teenager. Um, first of all, they have different needs. They can think about things differently, but also they're starting to get as big as you. Um, so, you know, you need to just think about how you kind of, um, you know, manage that. And I think a really important thing with teenagers is around offering them choice. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, they have just choice of everything, but certainly within the boundaries or the limits that you set, you can often offer choice about how they'll kind of do that. And that can be really helpful for teenagers and feeling like they've got some say um, in what's happening for them. I mean, I put this slide in here because I think there is a lot of pressure um, around for young people these days in that, you know, about really kind of, in some ways, you need to be the perfect parent and you need to do everything perfectly for your child so that they can be perfect. Actually, that's a huge amount of stress, um, you know, for young people. And certainly... In my work as a psychotherapist, I mean, I generally see very anxious young people, and it's usually got to do with stress around performance at school. Right? And so it's really just thinking about that and also realizing that because of what's going on in their brains, because the prefrontal cortex is being rewired, because they're using this emotional center much more, they are going to be more prone to things like anxiety. So when we add the stress... Right, they're going to find it incredibly difficult to manage um, with those kind of really high expectations. Right. And I think, you know, one of the key things is don't give up on them. They're going to make oopses along the way. I always use the analogy of potty training. If you think about when you potty trained your child, just keep holding that thought in mind. You know, it takes a long time, and just when you think, you've got it right, they get really caught up in something that they're doing, and they do it in their pants, and this time without a nappy on, right? And so it's a bit like that with teenagers. You, it can sometimes feel really frustrating that actually you think, well, we've been through this before. But actually, 
you know, it isn't just the stage. It's a real process um, for them. Right. And so I really want to just finish off by saying that, you know, getting to understand teenagers isn't about being able to control them. It's a bit like being a meteorologist. You can understand hurricanes and tornadoes as much as you want, but you're not going to stop them. But you do at least know when to get out of the way. Right? Um, and so it really is just shifting that kind of focus away from being able to try and control them. Because being rebellious, engaging in risky behavior, they might need to be checked and steered, but actually you're not going to stop them. Because that's part of being a teenager. Right? And so I'll end off on this, just saying to you that this is what a normal teenager looks like. Their sleeping and eating changes. There's going to be more conflict um, in your home, right? They really are going to argue back and question you, right? They're going to want to be with their friends much more than they want to be with you. They're going to be resistant to messages from authority. They're going to be more irritable, take more risks, and often are going to be quite bored, right? Let's say to you, I mean, if if you're able to do that, then you've probably done quite a good job as a parent <laughs> of a teenager. All right. So that was Alex Hassett. Uh, we hope you might have some greater understanding about the teenagers in your life now, even if, as Alex said, like a tornado, they may not do exactly what you want. Personally, I think I just might have to listen to it again, as it felt like there was a lot in there. We'll post links to a number of the things Alex talked about on the show page in our blog and we'll also provide links to information about the kind of training he provides and to some of his research. You can follow Alex on Twitter at AHA underscore TD. That's at AHA underscore TD. The best way to follow the podcast is to subscribe. You can do that on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Discussions in Tunbridge Wells. We also post all podcasts on our blog. As well as that, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at CCCUAPPSY. That's CCCUAPPSY. We have a number of shows planned for 2018, so keep an eye out. For now, thanks for listening and see you soon.